0: G'day everyone, thanks for joining and tuning in for a, a special episode of Fonzie's Warriors.
1: Um, well, oh, well, well, well. I, uh, Fonzie, I thought you were a guest on This Warrior's Life podcast, mate, I, I thought that's the deal with it, that we came up with, what's, I'm, what's on here.
0: I'm not sure what your people told my people, mate, but um, but no, you're right, let's, let's do it properly, so This Warrior's Life, a Season 3, Episode 4, I'm Will, Will Evans, um, how are we all?
1: Yeah, good mate. Good to have you here, Fonzie. Uh, a bit of a, a crossover episode here. Um, yeah, worlds are colliding, but uh, hopefully we'll get through it. Okay,
0: mate. Yeah, I'm I'm stoked to be on, mate, because um, yours is a podcast I listen to every week as as a Warriors fan, and and that's what I am at the end of the day. I'm a fan who had a look at um, the mainstream media coverage of the Warriors and found it lacking, and thought I could add a bit. And um, you know, but you you've always been. The content creator in the Warriors space that I've been able to pick you back off, and so it's it's an absolute pleasure to be talking to you.
1: Well, the feelings mutual, mate. Uh, your analysis of the Warriors and their games um, over the last couple of years has been um, has, has been about as good as there is out there. Obviously, me and Brad are far too um, lazy to to get as in depth as you get, and um, and yeah, I certainly my ability to to drive a podcast uh, solo because um, yeah, I don't know where I'd be without. Without Brad or my guests, I'd, uh, I'd be, I'd be struggling, mate. So yeah, the, um, if anyone anyone who's listening on the TWL platform and you haven't checked out Fonzie Talks Warriors yet, that's um, essential listening.
0: Well, appreciate that, mate. And we've just had a trial. We've uh, we've seen the boys run out. Um, should we talk about that for a bit?
1: Yeah, yeah. What was your uh, what was your first take on it, mate? Obviously, a, a bit of a shaky start, and then the boys sort of settled into. Bit of a rhythm, a few positives for you?
0: Yeah, it was a shaky start, wasn't it? I mean, I was watching that first 10 minutes and the gaps just opening up on the edges at will, and I thought, this is this is horrendous, this is terrible. But they seemed to settle that down, and the defence finished really strong um, under all that pressure in the second half. So, yeah, it, was, um, it wasn't fantastic by any means. I mean, I don't think there was any evidence that they've been coached at all in the off-season. <laughs> there was no attacking structure or... Um, combination there, but you got to remember Egan went off early, CHT didn't play, um, and they were looked like they were giving a few of the young guys big minutes to give them a shot because those guys haven't played footy for a year and they're a bit more unknown. Um, So I don't feel like that is what we're going to get in round one. Um, But, uh, yeah, so I I was, you know, a bit lukewarm on it, but there were some highlights.
1: Yeah, very uh, trial-like and it's,
0: yeah, It's
1: easy to to wash it away as a trial. As you said, the attack was, uh, particularly inside the 20, was, yeah, diabolical, really. Um, Sean O'Sullivan showed a couple of good touches for for a guy that was chucked into the halves there. But, um, yeah, as you said, without Chanel and and Egan going off early, it sort of didn't really give us a a chance to look at what our spine is going to look like um, for the season. But, yeah, some big positives as far as Adam Fanua Blake goes. Yeah. Him to pull out something like that in a trial uh, showed a lot of intent and showed you know the qualities he's going to bring to us this season pretty mouth watering.
0: Yeah, it was. I mean, when a, he's he's in the leadership group, Adam or Blake in his his first year, he's on big money, and you want that guy to come out first run and say I'm I'm leading this pack and I'm here to take no prisoners and I'm doing it for the jersey. And he he did that in a trial. Yeah. I thought that was great. Exactly. And and the others went off the back of it. Uh, I like Benny Murdoch on the edge. Didn't get big minutes because he's shorter, run. He's had an injury in the off season, but uh, he looked scary with that footwork on the edge, didn't he? When he got a little bit of ball.
1: Oh uh, yeah, with that, um, yeah, that that step that he put on pretty much first touch, I think it was, and it cut through the line. That was great to see the kind of variety that we'll be looking for this season. But guys like Murchie and Serenin had some nice touches as well. Yep. Um, yeah, probably one of the. F- the sort of glaring negatives was uh, Hikku and Montoya, yeah. a bit all at sea on the on the right edge there. But, yeah, I, I, I certainly wasn't sold on Montoya as a signing and uh, didn't do a hell of a lot to, to give me much confidence that he, he's a good villain. in uh, There's four or five guys I'd probably have in front of him if forces out. Uh,
0: I'm with you on that. I think, um, like I said, I, hopefully they were giving him a run to see what he can do. Uh, yeah. Hiku, Hiku's more of a worry, though, because there's no obvious – replacement, the I Arminosperum mean, that you know, there are options, but he is probably someone we've all had penciled as a certain starter for round one. Yeah. I hope that him and even Tohu and even RTS were in sort of, you know, that trial mode that experienced guys get into. Like the young guys in a trial want to stake their claim and prove yeah. a point. The old guys are kind of like, yeah, what is it? I don't want to get injured, let's move on. And I'm hoping he was a bit laxadaisical because of that. And it doesn't take much for Hiku to get laxadaisical. So
1: yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's uh, maybe a little concern, a bit of a concern. You might have uh, a bit more of a bit of defensive uh, rate on the Warriors but having, you know, Curran, Nikareemahiku, Montoya lined up alongside each other is maybe a bit of a target for the opposition?
0: It's, it can't happen. It, that honestly can't happen. It, it needs... I, I didn't think Curran went that well. Um, reading sort of some commentary, there's a few different views about that but I thought, I mean, he tried hard, he worked hard, but I thought defensively he wasn't there, and as you just said, you line him up with Hiku and Nikurima, and, yeah, no good. It needs a different edge back rower there, and Hiku's going to have to pull his finger out.
1: Yeah, but uh, and I guess the big takeaway was uh, the Egan injury. Um, yeah. And likely to be out for, for round one. How do they plug that gap, do you think?
0: Look, I mean, on what I saw on the weekend, I'd rather have Sirenen, in at dummy half than Jazz. I thought Sirinan probably distributed a little better. Is probably that more natural a passer. Um, so I think that's probably what they're going to do. Uh, I don't know if you agree with that, but it, it, it's not ideal. It's not ideal at all.
1: No, I've never been a fan of Jazz at dummy half, and because he's so effective in the middle, it weakens two positions. Um, as you said, Sirinan looked to go quite well. Um, didn't help that we barely had the ball in the last 15 minutes. Could have you know, have more of a chance to show what he can do. But, uh, yeah, I think how more maybe if O'Sullivan's going to be in the 17, there's an option yep. to play him there. But, um, yeah, sort of treading water a, wee- a little bit until, until Egan's fit again, I think.
0: Yeah, I can't see O'Sullivan defending in the middle. Like, he, he had a bad day on the weekend, and that's because he had Fafita running at him. And they did a great job at putting Fafita on O'Sullivan uh, on the weekend. But, yeah, I really don't want to see O'Sullivan having to tackle the big bodies all day. I I just don't think it's an option. Um, And uh, I think what it means, too, is we're just going to be playing one off the ruck. Like, Syronin's not going to be throwing long passes out of dummy half, so it's going to be nice and tight. And uh, that suits us at the moment. We've got the pack. Uh, I don't think think we can go far in the season without a proper hooker, but we can go far in games without a proper hooker just because our pack will keep us in there.
1: Yeah, sort of did expose that lack of depth there with Lawton already out and, um, you know, and Egan kind of the only recognized hooker. But uh, yeah, I guess we'll just have to soldier on and hope Egan's arm is okay and what he holds together for the season. Um, Now, if you didn't have anything else on the trial, mate, I I thought I'd change it up a little bit. Yeah, Uh, sure. You know, Brad and I uh, waffle on and talk about ourselves quite a lot on our podcast, but you're you very much uh, just talk about the worries. You you keep yourself uh, to yourself. I'm, I know that, that some listeners are probably, but curious about what makes Fonzie tick. Who is Fonzie? What, what's his go? Um, so, mate, what is there anything you can divulge? Can you give us a, a backstory to that nickname? Is there? Um, I've been praying that uh, your last name's is Am I? Am I right?
0: I. I- yeah, so the, the nickname comes from my name, not my appearance and demeanour. I'm, uh, I'm not the guy from Happy Days in my ability to pull women or any of those sort of okay. things, but um, it comes from my name. But, yeah, look, I, um, I um, just prefer to keep my um, personal stuff out of it, partly because um, with the work that I do, it's helpful for me not to um, be known to some of the people I work with and for um as having a podcast lets me be a bit more frank and fearless let's say um in terms of criticizing people when they need it and um and so that's that's why it's it's no big mystery but that's why i I prefer to keep it um you know a bit anonymous but yeah i can talk to my background a little bit if it's interesting
1: yeah for sure just on happy days um a few people might accuse this warrior's life of um jumping the shark by having (laughs) with. With Fonzie, but yeah, tell us about your uh, about your background, how you came to be a Warriors fan, because I detect a fairly thick accent, uh, Australian accent there.
0: Yeah, I mean, the short answer is the Warriors chose me as a fan. I didn't choose them. Um, but the, and I mean that. But the, the long answer, um, and if it gets too long, shut me up, mate. But the the long answer is, um, well, I grew up in Western Sydney. Um, my dad was born overseas, so I didn't come into it. He had no interest in rugby league at all, so I didn't have any kind of rugby league uh, background in my immediate family. Um, but in Western Sydney, growing up in the 80s and, and into the 90s, it was an absolute rugby league hotbed. Like people from NZ, um, I suspect probably have never lived in a place that is was so dominated by league as Western Sydney during that time. It was literally you sort of on a Saturday, Arvo, I go for a walk down your street and every second house had a bloke out the front washing his car, holding a long neck, listening to the radio, which had the footy on. And it was league everywhere. Um, and grand final day was a street party. And it, it didn't matter who was playing. It was like that. So I very quickly got exposed to it and got into it. And uh, when I was sort of at that age, when you're picking your team, Baume Tigers were a good side. So this yeah. is sort of that late 80s. And yeah. I just became a, a baume fan. And there's a couple of other reasons for it, but that was really what it was. And um, and I was an absolute hard-out Balmain fan. So I you know used to badger my dad to take me to the games. Um, I remember going to Benny Elias' last game and jumping over the fence and getting on the field and ripping up a piece of the turf and then yeah. taking that turf home and growing it in a pot at home um, <laughs> and telling everyone who came over that I was, you know, that was that was like Leichhardt Oval over there in that pot, that kind of thing. Um, and then probably the the thing that a lot of um, Kiwi fans might not understand as well or not have experienced is the impact the Super League had. So when Super League came through, it ripped the game up in Australia and in particular in Sydney. Um, and it sort of forced, like, suddenly you had different teams in different comps and the people who you talk to about footy, uh, let's say Bulldogs fans or Sharks fans, were playing in a different comp and it really broke the fabric of the game and... Coming out of Super League, Baumain had to merge. They merged with Wests, and that didn't sit well with me at all. Um, and it kind of broke that childhood bond I had with Baumain because yeah. it didn't exist anymore. It's sort of—you remember there was a guy called Laurie Nichols, you might know as a league historian. Absolutely, who, absolutely yeah. So I caught the train with Laurie once or twice. I oh, read really? him, and um, and when they did, when they were talking about the merger. Between Balmain and West, he got up and made a passionate speech saying it shouldn't happen, and um, it did go ahead. And I think it was three weeks after the merger went ahead, he died of a heart attack. That's right. right. Uh, Yeah, yeah, and that's like a metaphor of how I felt about it. I just – it sucked, and I hated it. And going forward, I would have probably at that time said I was a West Tigers fan, but it just wasn't the same, and I wasn't going to follow another team in Sydney. Um, And around the same time, the Warriors started having a bit of a good patch, right? They made that first GF. And I sort of started thinking myself as a rugby league fan, not a Tigers fan. And it was exciting to see a team in New Zealand doing well. And um, sort of a parallel track was that I'd, my first trip overseas was to New Zealand. I went to Taupo with um, some army cadets and we did some hiking around there. And I just loved the place. I couldn't believe how beautiful it was. I couldn't believe how great the people were. Um, and I just started going to New Zealand all the time. Any holiday I got, I go to New Zealand, I do some hiking, I do some fishing. Um, and yeah, just sort of fell in love with the place. So I always had a soft spot there. And then it was just over time where every weekend I watched the Tigers and I watched the Warriors because they were like my second team, if you like. And just over time, it got to a place where um, by the time the Warriors made that second GF and Sean Johnson had emerged and stuff, I was watching the Warriors and not the Tigers um, every weekend. And well, then can I just
1: stop you there? Well, yeah. where was the where was the heart when um, Warriors and Tigers played in that 2011 semi final?
0: Yeah, so um, that was that was the one. So that was when that game was playing, and I had some family around, and they were all you know following various teams, and they sort of knew me as a Tigers fan, and I couldn't fake it. I couldn't fake it. I was going for the Warriors. Yeah. I thought it, I thought it'd be better for the game. It was. I, I just I just that's where the heart was. And um, it was after that game where um, my sister at the time actually said, "Oh my God, you're a Warriors fan now." <laughs> She's rung my uncle, and have you seen. this? He's a Warriors fan now, and it was a little bit of a scandal. And um, and it sort of just cemented from there. So it's um yeah it's not a it's not a typical story, and it's a bit weird. Like I'm definitely someone who. Um, you know, you, stick, you pick your team for life has always been my mentality and that kind of thing. But, yeah, you you can't really get that story unless you live through Super League here in Australia and the mergers that had to happen and the bad blood and the bitterness and all the rest of it. And also, unless you're weirdly fascinated and in love with New Zealand like I am.
1: Yeah, it's a great yarn. Um, and, yeah, there's a few, few – I've come across a few stories, not quite like that, but, you know, similar, similar sort of threads. Uh, Rob Anderson – does the the ruined hammer um yeah. podcast he he was the same that they chose him as as you said before and um despite you know growing up as a queenslander and yeah great to have as many aussies as we can can get on board it's um it's fantastic and do you have any uh, favorite memories is there one particular match or moment that stands out as a yeah. uh, warriors fan
0: yeah, it was that that Sean Johnson try in that left edge against Melbourne in the uh, preliminary final. That, that was that was probably the moment when it just flipped over in my own head as ah, this is this is where I want to be. This this is amazing. Um, yeah,
1: yeah, I can't go past that myself. I've watched it probably eighty thousand times, um, and I don't think I've ever felt that sort of elation at a sports event that and and. And the Grand Elliot six to get the Black Cats in the Free <laughs> Cup final is just that, you know, we've made it, we've got into the final, but, you know, not quite the Holy Grail, um, fell short in both, but, yeah, um, still precious memories, even though it didn't quite end it with a trophy at the end of it. Um, yeah, no. yeah So I guess you're, uh, well, who, who, do you have any favourite players? Is it, is it SJ, like it is for me, or have you got a, another one that really stands out?
0: it is sj for me um i i mean i you know simon mannering it goes without saying uh, i think i think um Palliocena back in the day too yeah. just sort of grabbed you in the guts in a way that not many other players have yeah uh, i, I sort of it, it was a it, the thing about the warriors is they produce different types of players yeah. to the players that consistently get churned out of the aussie systems yeah. and that's been seen as a negative in a lot of ways, but it's been positive in others. And geez, it's exciting. They just play better footy.
1: Yeah, I think, and you know, his tenure is um, looked back on as you know being a wasted, wasted talent kind of thing. But Conrad Harrell, yeah, some of his, you know, when he was in form, but there was no better centre. It's the only, you know, only centre to strike fair into the opposition since Meninga. To that degree, Um, i just, yeah, probably be my second favourite warrior to watch behind Johnson. Um, Wish it had worked out differently, just probably wasn't quite the right personality for it. But, uh, yeah, again, leaves plenty of memories, even in seasons which, you know, were rank disappointments. There's always pockets of something to, you know, to cling to, to to look back on fondly. And I think that's what keeps us coming back, even after some of those more trying seasons.
0: Well, I mean, that's it, and... I understand the frustration of fans um, with the Warriors' lack of success, and we need success. It's it's well overdue, and hopefully it's coming. Um, but you, we've also always got to remember there's 16 teams in the comp. On average, you'll make the finals one in two. On average, you'll make the top four one in four. You'll make a GF one in eight, and you'll win a comp once every 16 years. Now, we're behind on that tally, right? No two ways yeah. about it. But you have to be realistic at the start of each year to understand they're the odds all things equal and they're not all equal we're, we're pushing uphill in a lot of directions
1: yeah a lot of Kiwis I think uh, tend to struggle with that um, with that idea that we can't just you know be successful all the time and there's a lot of myths around uh, the Warriors that we've talked about I'm sure you have too and we've always had these giant packs uh, we are yeah. do, do now for the first time since probably 2002 but uh yeah, it uh, can be frustrating, but it's all part of the all part of the fun. Um, yep. And and speaking of, um, you know, we always you know, the warriors always drum up plenty of debate and um, and questions and passion. And uh, we've had quite a decent response to our um, or to your um, plea for some questions for this podcast. So shall we jump into those? Jump mate? in.
0: Yeah, no worries. I'll I'll uh, I'll kick it off. And and this is a good one actually because it. A lot of these touch on the trial as well, so we can sort of talk about them in that context. So, first up from at Anton Pozza, um, who I think we both both know well from Twitter. Uh, uh, he's,
1: yeah, he's probably the most prolific Warriors uh, tweeter out there. Good, uh, good
0: supporter of both our our
1: podcasts and yeah. various things. Good old no, Anton.
0: He, He's a good fellow. Doesn't mind if he's spearfishing too, I think. So, um, his question is: What do we make of Lisa Armour? His impact hasn't been great. My opinion is I'd rather keep Bunty for similar body type but younger and more impactful.
1: Yeah, um, good points there. As you've talked about in one of your, I think, your first one of the season, talking about the pack, um, You know, having those guys that are too similar probably isn't going to wash this season now that we've got a lot of options. And um, the last couple of seasons, we just had so many guys that were just almost carbon copies of each other. Um, Yeah now we can probably only carry one of those guys maybe if everyone's fit i guess it's you know coach's preference but and i'm a big bunty fan i think we'll see more out of leeson this year though when he first was it 2019 he first came in it's sort of thrown into a um, marquee prop role whereas before that he's playing at the dragons with like guys like james graham paul vaughan and all of a sudden he's coming off the bench a lot now he's our our starter and our sort of number one prop Probably didn't suit him that well. He did what he does well, then, but it, you know, he was never going to be, um, you know, Andrew Fafita or Adam Furnier Blake for us. So, um, I, yeah, I, I think our mouth has got a good chance to sort of have a bit of a renaissance.
0: Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think, um, and this is not just just Poser because Pozza knows his footy generally, and including and he me, loves, he loves Bunty as and well. He loves Banty. So there's a later question, but um, I think. As fans, it's easy to fall into the trap of looking what people do with a ball in hand and not looking what they do in D, because yeah. it's it's more obvious and you know the the attention's more there. But the thing about Armow is that guy is an awesome defensive prop, yeah. and that that's because he's he's quite big. He's got big long arms and he's very agile. He's got good footwork, so he tackles it. I think it's the highest efficiency in our um, in our four pack, and I, I think. Bunty probably is a little bit, well, he's younger, he's a bit more dynamic, his carries are good, but I think Armow has him covered in the defensive technique and also in the quick play of the ball as well. I think he's just that little bit cleverer in the way he carries into contact and gets up and rolls. So for me, at the moment, I think Armel is ahead of Bunty. Um, personally, I, I'd be playing um, every day of the week ahead of Bunty, but uh, that's not to say that in a couple of years Bunty can't you know, do that. And Armour's 29 or 30, so at some point there's a change over there. And uh, we could do worse than have Bunty hang around.
1: Yeah, exactly. It seemed like he was on the outer a bit towards the end of last season. I'm glad to see him hang around. Bit of a crowd favourite and, you know, he can get better. Um, And good to see them both back on the park after injury ruined 2020 for both of
0: them. And actually, while we're on Bunty, we've got another question from at Port Kiwi. Um, who's another Twitter legend, and he's asking, do we think Bunty will play a significant role in the squad this year?
1: I guess it depends what your um, definition of significant is, but I definitely think he gets a fair bit of footy. It's a long season. Um, Yeah, I'd I'd like to see him play a decent role. Um, Yeah, I guess it depends how... I I just hope they're going to pick on form. Like, if Kane Evans doesn't aim up, I don't want to see him persevered with just because he's a different body shape, which um, yep. the Cameron George and the Warriors seemed obsessed with after they went on that signing spree, talking about uh, body shapes like that it was the be-all and end-all. You still got to play footy, good footy. Um, so, yeah, you know, if, if his form warrants it, he might end up playing a few games for the Dolphins. But um, if he's playing better there than Evans is um, in first grade, then give him the spot.
0: Well, I mean, we know we're going to get injuries in the middle, right? You always yeah. do. So he's going to get a shot. Um, and I'm with you on that too. Is, is there a bit of, just to go on a tangent a little bit, is there a bit of an overreaction from the club, do you think, in terms of we had all the same body shape and they were small, so now we need as many really big guys as we can get, <laughs> yeah. all different body shapes sort of chucking yeah, it in there? Yeah,
1: it's a massive overcorrection. Like, I mean, I've been crying out for, for a long time, you know, the different types of forwards, but, and they've got certainly got that, so I can't complain, but... Yeah, again, you still got to pick the best players and the players that are uh, in the best form. Uh, just just quickly, where do you have Jermaine Tanoa-Brown in that pecking order with Armow and Is and I guess he's similar-ish in, um, in style. Um, had a great year last year under you know pretty difficult circumstances. Where do you have him in the prop pecking order?
0: Yeah, so um, I, before the trial, it hasn't really changed, but I suppose I, I had Fenua Blake and Armow as our two starting props. And I thought they would probably, or what I would have done is rotate then Evans and move Tohu into the middle and have those two. So I didn't have room for Tino Brown in my prop rotation um, to start the year. Um, I mean, I have, nothing's happened to change my mind, but I don't think that's what Brown is thinking. I think Tino yeah. Brown is going to um, have a role, at least a bench spot. I don't have a problem with that. I mean, he's he's going to do well if he takes a few lessons from Fanua Blake about being a mongrel. Because yes. my take on Tano Brown is he's big, he's athletic, he's got the motor, he makes his tackles, but I'd like to see him just you know kind of a couple of cheap shots, a couple yeah. of late ones, yeah. just 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 show us that you're out there um, and let the others know that you're out there because you're scary, you're a scary dude. So
1: yeah, he's a big I, unit.
0: Yeah, so I um I I don't ex- I I didn't I wouldn't personally have him in the top four props where I'm playing who as a prop. Um, But he's a a whisker behind there, and he'll do a job, no doubt. Um, I might pitch one to
1: you, mate. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Um, At Manus 2010, um, if it's apparent early on that CHT and or Egan aren't up to it this year, what are our backup plans at those positions? Ooh, it's a curly one.
0: Well, I mean, we've we've got the Egan case study right now, don't we? So the answer is our backup plans are – Shit ourselves and try and work it out. In the case of Egan, we've, um, I, I, we sort of touched on it before. I think it's Sirenan in the short term. Um, there's a couple of guys in the development squad who have massive wraps on them. Um, I think it's Otokolo, uh was the SG ball hooker last year, and he was the standout hooker in that comp, uh, okay. even acknowledged by Aussie Media as a standout hooker in that comp. So he will be there if he keeps developing, but it's, you know, bring him up too early, they get injured, it sets them back and so on. So I don't think he's going to be ready. So I think we're just going to have to suck it up and roll with Syrandon unless we can sign someone. And I was reading a bit earlier today an article from uh, the club saying they're not planning to make a panic signing. They're going to let yeah. things go. So if that's the case, uh, I think we've just got to accept that we're going to be playing some pretty one-out footy, some pretty yeah. pretty limited footy in the early rounds until Egan's back. Um, interested in your thoughts on what happens if Egan, you know, is the next Nate Roach? Because this is his, he, he's, he gets injured. He carried yeah. an injury all last year.
1: Yeah, it's um, it's <laughs> worth talking about that. And you know, it kind of our hands are tied a little bit this season unless they do, as you talked about, draft up one of these younger guys. There was a guy, um, and I'm not sure where he's at, whether he's over there or in, a, in development. With, the Dolphins or anything, but Temple Kalipo, he, yep. he was outstanding in a short stint during the trials last year. I was quite excited by him. Um, I don't know what his what his deal is at the moment, but um,
0: I, I think he's on development up at the Dolphins as well. Yeah. They've got they got two hookers up there.
1: Yeah, oh, so that's good to good to know. And yeah, hopefully we see them get some game time. And you know, it's obviously upper level from what they've been playing. So playing against men and 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 good players to Queensland Cup. So. Yeah, hopefully they're just options develop and particularly if they're needed. Um, CHT was thrown into that question there. I was interested to see that O'Sullivan got the start, whereas Turner was the uh, you know, given the, the debut by um, Todd Payton last year when, when CHT was out against the Bulldogs and played really well, but O'Sullivan got that start. What was your take on that?
0: Yeah, I, I think it's pretty clear that O'Sullivan's there to back up CHT and Turner's there to back up Cody. So yeah. Cody's, Cody's role is pretty simple. Um, he sits on that right edge mainly. He's playing the short ball to the edge back rower or linking up further wide to Hickle. Turner, that's an easier role for Turner to pick up at his stage of development, given his temperament. On the other hand, CHT's more the organiser. He's got the kicking game. Sullivan kicked pretty well, I thought, on the weekend. Yeah, that
1: um, side's so one that uh went out. before. But yeah, no, yeah, I was impressed with that side of his game.
0: So that's how I see them. Um, O'Sullivan's there to back up CHD and put pressure on him, and Turner's there to back up Cody and put pressure on him.
1: Yeah, not a bad, um, not a bad setup if that's you know, the way it goes. You know, obviously everyone is, it's you want to, you know, it's just natural you want to see the more exciting players get the call up, and Turner is incredibly exciting. But uh, yeah, as you said, it's probably a better way to go. O'Sullivan's got that more of an organising instinct and better kicking game, so that's that is probably the best way to go. So hopefully that answers that that question. Um, next one from it's uh, it's me's. Um, what's it going to take for the Warriors to be considered a powerhouse in the NRL, like to be on par with the likes of Storm, Roosters, Bunnies, Raiders, Panthers?
0: Yeah, so I don't know if that's it's me's or it's me highs or whatever oh. it is, but he's he's another Twitter legend. So shout out, mate. Um, look, I think this question's wrong, right? So. Um, Yes, the Roosters and the Storm have been powerhouses. Um, They're the only two out of that list, though, that have been powerhouses. Like, yes, the Raiders are going through a good patch. The Panthers are coming into a good patch. um, The Bunnies, too. But they both had long periods at the bottom. They're they're not um, natural uh, perennial, uh, you know, top line sides and even the roosters i go back 10 years and the roosters were a laughing stock in sydney they had three thousand people that they you know it was talk about just getting rid of them so success is cyclical you can't expect to be a constant powerhouse unless um, there's some structural uh, edge that you can exploit and for the warriors if we say okay what are our structural advantages it's got to be junior talent in new zealand and it's yeah. got to be Kiwis wanting to live in New Zealand. They're the only two we've got. We've got plenty of structural disadvantages, which is Aussies don't want to come, which is, you know, where the minority sport in New Zealand and all of those things. So we've got to exploit our two structural advantages. And other than that, just make smart decisions and our time will come is is the best way I, look, I can look at it.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, it just comes down to, for the average fan, considered a powerhouse as um, playing finals every year and, you know, getting to grand finals and winning comps, but there's a lot more to it than that. And I think the Warriors can probably fairly say they're one of the better run clubs off the field. Is that is that fair? I know that, yeah, the junior development side of it really needs some work, but I mean, the, the, they're certainly less of a basket case than a lot of the other clubs in the NRL that, that sort of yo-yo and have a lot of um, internal controversies and, and you know, our off-field discipline record's good. You know, the they're all... They're all elements that make up, um, you know, what you're looking for in an NRL club.
0: Well, uh, well let, me, let me sort of run a tangent on this one then because this is something I thought about a bit. Um, I think I, I really gave the Warriors management a spray middle of last year, around the time when they were going through that coaching process, trying to find the new coach. Peyton had knocked us back and then did that press conference. And it to me, it looked like, Um, it was worse run than probably um, any business I've ever seen. And I really loaded into them. Now, since then, it's been um, all on the up. So they've hired Gus. I think Gus brings important subject matter expertise. Cameron George seems to have found a groove, um, all of that kind of thing. But, I mean, are are you confident in the front office, Will? You're closer to them than I am.
1: Yeah, I don't know. Like, I mean, they it's, it has ebbed and flowed a little bit. I mean, they're happy to take the pats on the back uh, after 2018, and they did some great stuff off the field with double header, getting crowds back and obviously breaking that top eight drought. Um, the Sean Johnson thing was an absolute fiasco, and I don't think I'll ever forgive the club for that. Um, you know, the the only reason I can can see uh you know can justify carrying on is because i know that you know everyone else that was involved in that isn't going to be there forever but um yeah. that, that's certainly something that still stings and yeah so i guess that kind of contradicts the point that i was making that it was handled poorly i agree with you i thought the coaching side the coaching change was um or signing was handled pretty shabbily it, it seemed like a knee-jerk thing to get nathan brown and um God knows why they'd give him a three-year deal when no one else wanted him. It just seems like they're, you know, it's a flip of the coin whether he makes it to three years. History says he won't, and then you're mm. looking at a big payout, so it's a poor decision. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I just think, like, I mean, the NRL sets a pretty low bar from, for its clubs. <laughs> yep. uh, the way they, they're uh, managed. There's only a handful that are that you'd really say have run impressively, um, so that's probably where I'm given the Warriors a bit of a pass mark. But, you know, they're, they're certainly passionate and can't fault Cameron George's passion. And yep. um, yeah, he's probably the most accessible, accessible um, NRL CEO out there. You don't see any other club CEOs talking to plebs like me and, and jumping on other podcasts and and that sort of thing. So, um, yeah, I don't I've, I've got a soft spot for them. And I, I, under the circumstances, I think they have Done a better than average job since the pandemic kicked in.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with that. And and Cameron is growing on me. Uh, and I totally agree. He's you know very um, fan friendly as a CEO, which is great. Uh, he, he was pretty open on his interview with with you as well, which was yeah. a great. Hit. If people ever listen to that, go and listen to it. It's exactly the questions that you wanted a CEO to be uh, to be asked and answering. But just on this on this powerhouse one, maybe to close it off, I think. If you want to be a powerhouse in the nrl you need to be well resourced which hopefully we are now you need to have um, a good development structure in place the reason for that is unless you're cheating the salary cap and maybe some clubs are but let's assume for this chat that they're not unless you're cheating the salary cap the only way you can get value in your salary cap is to have players who haven't broken through yet but who you've identified that will be in the term that you have them op- like playing at a price point higher than you're giving them. right? So if you can get CHT, for example, to have a breakout year when he's on two or three hundred K, because to him, that's massive money because he's just broken through. Um, that's when you suddenly find yourself with half a million extra in the cap. And that's when you win comps. That's what happened to Penrith. All these young guys have come through low money deals. And they break out and the club breaks out. And then you've got the challenge of keeping them. You've got to pick and choose and weed through. But having done that, then your recruitment becomes easier because you're recruiting into a club with good players and a a good reputation and success. So it it all starts with um, a, a clever head office and good development pathways, getting the juniors in at the bottom. And then, look, after that, it's just luck. It's just luck. And it won't last forever, and it never does. And... Part of the fun of being a fan is you, you sort of when you're at the low points, you're trying to work out how you get back up. What do yeah. we need to do? What are the decisions?
1: It's an excellent point regarding the signings and what Penrith have been able to do. And to a certain extent, the Roosters have done the same. I mean, they obviously, they don't have the same junior set up, but so many of their guys have, have come in and de- made their NRL debuts at the Roosters, or they've come in like a Tauka who only played one game for us, then... You know, became one of the best players in the game um, from the Roosters. I mean, and they h- hang on to these guys. I think that's something that the Warriors need to, rather than paying overs for guys um, to come back or to come over. You know, that's that's going to be the test for them to take the next step. I guess. Yep,
0: I think that's right, mate. And um, and then we might be headed, heading into that cycle now, just quietly, mm-hmm. as as a Warriors fan.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, Ad, Adam Fanua Blake signing is. Uh, you know, a coup that I know we got Roger and Isaac to come back. There were, you know, they had reasons to come back. Um, family-wise, the Kiwi boys, but Adam Fanua Blake—that's uh, it's probably the biggest since Steve Price or Brent Tate, I guess. Yep. And getting an Aussie it's at the peak of his peak of his career, um, yeah, a big turning point.
0: All right, now I'll, I'll throw you one. I'm not sure if you saw this one. So this is from at Wansey's Fouriers. I think that's right. Um, Sounds weirdly familiar. Yeah. Will Will, why do you hate Wade Egan so much? And are you pleased now that he's injured?
1: Is that- well, well, that's a very loaded question. I, I don't hate Wade Egan. I know that I've he's copped a bit on the TWL podcast. Um, I want to like him, and I am more than prepared for him to to jump on his bandwagon when he uh, gives me reason to. But. Yeah, again, I, I just think that the um, the hype that's created around him by the club and the coaches, pro- he hasn't lived up to that by any stretch. I mean, the fact that he was talked up so much and then ended up playing off the bench, uh, not that he did a, a poor job or anything, and he had definitely had his moments, had his good games. Um, you know, you need him to be, if you're giving him that many raps, he needs to be your, your dominating starting number nine, playing 60 minutes plus every every game, which, you know, we just haven't seen that. Now he's injured. I'm certainly not pleased that he's injured to answer uh, the second part of that question. Um, I do have a, a question for you, though. I mean, I, I want – I'm trying so hard to not be on his case. First set of six of that trial, plays two and three, the the no-look pass. Can you, can you shed some light on why the no-look pass is um, something that should be in Wade Egan's kit bag and should stay there?
0: Look, um, so I've been a Wade Egan fanboy, and I should say, too, part of that is because I could see an overwhelming negative consensus about him all through the last year. Like, you, you yep. were very measured in what you said about him, but some people were just straight out <laughs> saying, saying he had nothing. Yeah. Um, And so partly it was reacting to that where I was like, hey, guys, I'm really just not seeing this the same as you guys. And so I made a point of calling that out because it's the whole point of having a podcast is to throw your your two cents in the mix. Now, he's not the second coming of Cameron Smith. I'm not sort of saying that. But um, what the Warriors are crying out for is some um, organisation and some um, stability around the middle, some brains around the middle, because – the halves that we've got, and even when SJ was there, in the old SJ, it's changed a bit now, um, just didn't have that game management around it. And so the thing I've loved about Wade is I can tell he's a footy player who he's always thinking. He's sizing up the, the numbers, which marker's lazy, where does it need to go, and he's got a great pass on him to um, get the forwards rolling. So generally that's, that's what I like about him. He's not a running hooker and... Warriors fans are used to good running hookers. We've had quite a few good running hookers over the years, most recently Isaac Luke, obviously. And we we need to get our heads around the fact that a running hooker can be good, but it's not the only way to be a great hooker. And and Egan's never going to be that type of hooker. He's a different hooker. And if you've got, um, let's say, uh, inexperienced halves or halves who are more tactical, having a strategic hooker can be very very valuable. Um, for a side so that that's kind of why i like him but i've always been concerned about whether he's a biscuit right whether he's he's too injured and we haven't started well so on the no look pass specifically i i mean cameron smith does them all the time it's um it's uh he's one of his go-tos all it is is you step out a dummy half you take a couple of steps you engage a defender and if you can buy another half a second before the defender realises or the defence realises which runner's getting the ball. It just gives that runner another half a second to move. Now, the average probably run out of you know, one off ruck probably goes for, I don't know, I haven't timed it, but it'd be two or three seconds. So even half a second is a massive difference in terms of you getting over the advantage line, uh, coming into contact in the position you want rather than the position the defence wants you in, maybe getting getting your nose in between players, finding a little crease. So if if the no-look pass just buys you just a fraction of a second over the course of a game, that can really add up to winning the ruck. So okay. I think I think that's um, why the no-look pass might, as a thing, be useful, whether he uses it right and whether he's sort of nailed it and whether – um, you know, because the cost of it too is you might stuff a few up, right? So whether he's quite nailed, it's a different question. But as a thing, it makes sense. It makes complete sense to me.
1: I um, I heard a, uh, your explanation of that last season, which is great analysis and, and, um, and very valuable for someone like me that was just teeing off on him. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, certainly that certainly makes sense, and I was a little bit sheepish after hearing that, actually. Um, but... Yeah, I don't know if he, as you said, if he's using it um, correctly. I just feel like it's slightly telegraphed compared to Cameron Smith, who has um, it seems a lot more subtle. And whether and he's, he's Egan doesn't sort of seem to be um, taking it himself enough yep. to create that doubt in the defender's mind. But you know, I'm happy to again, uh, Wanzie's um I'm happy to. I'm, I'm happy to give him a chance, and I do hope that he ends up being this uh, fantastic hooker that quite a few people are convinced are that he is going to be.
0: And, and look, just just to close on that one too, I mean, remember, he's a lightweight guy who's injury-prone. All right. If we got a choice between him running and him giving good ball to Adam Finua-Blake, give the ball. Don't 100%. run. Yeah. Um, okay, I've got another one here. This is from at Bethany Trout. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's, I don't know that. I don't know that Twitter name. I haven't seen, um, seen them before. Sounds familiar, but don't know it. So the question is, don't you think we should be playing the trader RTS at prop in reserve grade this year? Hopefully, Cameron George has a couple of the under sixteen kids egging his car while he's at training too.
1: Oh, wow. savage and sour. Uh, look, yeah, there has been. Um, I'm I'm slightly surprised there hasn't been more, but there has been a few uh, people very bitter at RTS and the uh, decision he's made um fortunately it has been a, a handful of people and it's been uh very close to tight i'm not surprised the people that have uh, teed off on rts it, it fits um with their rhetoric in general about rugby league and um so yeah i'm happy for them to just carry on and and um and be glass half empty and and um you know unjustifiably better but for me Roger's done so much for the game, so much for the club, but never more than last year. Um, And, you know, he's achieved just about everything except lead us to a a premiership. Uh, No, I think he's handled the whole thing really, really well. Um, And he is not talking about rugby until he goes, which is great. Um, And I've got no doubt that he's going to put 100% into going out on a high with the Warriors, I think, you know, to see him, Burst through the line in a trial and set up a try was um, was was a fantastic sign in his first outing since um, since the news and good luck to him. So Bethany Trout, I um, um no, we won't be playing him at uh, reserve grade at prop. Um, we'll be celebrating him all year like the champion is and soaking up every possible second of RTS magic and we can get our hands
0: on. Yeah, couldn't agree more. I mean. W- w- it is not impossible that we win a cup this year. I'm not saying we're going to. I'm not saying we're in the top line of betting. I'm just saying, right? This this is not a write-off year. This is not a rebuild year. This is a year where we've got a side that is in the mix of semi-finals. Anyone who says, "Oh, let's cut him now," is a complete idiot because yeah. cutting your best player in a year where you're in the mix, you know, in that middle pack is would just be complete lunacy. Yeah, complete lunacy.
1: Um. Moving on from um, that diabolical question uh, from at DomoMC, MC, he, he's um, enjoyed his, um, his patronage of this Warriors life. He's been fantastic. I'm sure he has been. He's all over uh, Fonzie Talks Warriors as well. Um, go after SJ or at least test the waters for both the now for for both the nows and the fan love, but not on silly money. Viable question, mark.
0: Sj, look, I mean, we've you had a chat um, to Brad about this on your last pod, and this is hard because you've got to you've got to make these calls strictly on performance and business. You can't make these calls on fan love. I think um, so. I'm going to look at it from that perspective. If Cody is leaving, and it's unclear whether he's staying after this year, we need a half. So it depends who you can get and at what price as to whether SJ is a good stopgap. There's obviously a politics side of this, right, which I'll I'll sort of leave to you, Will, actually, because I think you've probably got more understanding of it. But on the field, in terms of performance, if Cody goes, I would absolutely sign SJ for next year. Um, Even if you think Paul Turner is an answer on that edge, Having SJ around the place on anything like a reasonable salary is important in terms of depth, and I don't know whether Paul or SJ is the depth there, right? but it's important, and also in terms of mentoring and development. So absolutely, unless you're going to tell me that Cody's staying and we're happy about that, or alternatively that we're getting another half who can do that. that's That's sort of my take on it at the moment. Yeah, and plenty of halves on the
1: market um, and obviously Jerome Hughes apparently we've, we've um, offered him a, a bucket load to come over and I am a big fan of his like I, I, yeah, the SJ thing it's, it's still such an emotional issue for me that I find it hard to look at outside of any other um, yeah. any other factors and I honestly don't see it happening while the the current management is there I, I, you can't tell me um, I, well, I won't be told that you know that it wasn't a, you know, semi-orchestrated um, push to to get him out, and and I just don't see that they would backtrack on that um, when things are going fairly well um, to bring him back. I mean, I'd love to see him finish his career here, um, or at least have another stint like a Benji did. But I think I said to, I said on the podcast with Brad last week and. Said to Rob Anderson privately, I just couldn't handle the aggravation of the anti-SJ brigade. Um, if he doesn't, you know, if he doesn't just torch the entire competition, um, I think we, you know, it's almost just as satisfying from a personal point of view to see him um, play so well for Cronulla last year um, without the scrutiny of, um, of some pretty unfair Warriors fans. Um, but, yeah, for all of your points before, I, I totally agree with, and um, I think he could do a fantastic job. I just don't see it happening. I just don't see the, the wheels uh, turning to get him here. I, I just don't think it's even going to get close.
0: Yeah, I mean, from what I've heard, which is all secondhand stuff, I mean, it wasn't, it wasn't Kearney that was the problem there necessarily. So no. the fact that Kearney's gone isn't going to solve whatever that political or personality issue was, yeah? No, not at all, no.
1: Uh, What have we we got up next?
0: I'll jump in with one. Um, This is from at Kiwi Cam. Hey, just thought you guys might want to talk about how there's definitely no Aussie influence at the club this year. Sure, we're based in Australia for a second year, but with Gussie, Sully, Brownie and Georgie at the helm, the club's as Kiwi as Crowded House, Russell Crowe and James Tarmow put together. (laughs)
1: I'm convinced. that I'm almost embarrassed for asking Cameron George the question after, after that. Uh, yeah, no, yeah, he, uh, he bristled a bit at that question, Cameron George, a couple of weeks ago, um, and got on him. But I thought it was a valid one. He probably didn't quite take it as um, as quite as I intended. It was, uh, you know, just a genuine uh, question about all these factors that have sort of slanted the the club towards uh, you know Aussie influence um, and whether and he did go ahead to answer the question that I intended that you know they're very conscious of their Kiwi culture and they are a Kiwi club just happened to be stationed in Australia for the season so um, yeah, it was just something that, I, that I crossed my mind and obviously you know getting the changes in the coaching staff and, and you know Gus and, and uh, Aussie coach again. Yeah, it's just uh, just something I was I had to
0: get out there. Well, let me ask you this then, um, and thanks for the question, Kiwi Cam. Um, the do you think that because there was always this story, and there's a lot of stories about the Warriors, right? And a lot of them are rubbish, but there was always this story that the um, the Kiwi um, influence around the club produced great players, but didn't produce systems and. Um, didn't produce a club that, back to the question we got from um, uh, the earlier question about being a powerhouse, right, it didn't produce or didn't have the, the structures that were going to achieve consistency. I mean, do you think the owners or Cameron or anyone else has decided that they need to, maybe as a temporary thing, bring in some experienced Aussies to try and build that and bring some, some of the Kiwi guys up through that Um, and hand it over. I mean, is that that possibly something that's happening?
1: Yeah, I don't really know. I mean, it's all about balance and about getting the best people, whether they're Aussies or Kiwis, and I'm sure that, you know, I don't think it's been a deliberate thing where they'd favour an Australian over a a New Zealander, and maybe the club has favoured New Zealanders over Aussies, um, as far as who they've gone after, um, you know, coaching staff and behind the scenes too much. Um, Mm -hmm. I certainly don't think they would you know, picks an Australian with a inferior resume over a, over a Kiwi. But, um, you know, it's just worth pointing out that the role that guys like John Ackland and those sort of guys that, and yep. Tony Hedder and his various roles that have played at the Warriors over a long, long period and, and had a big part in their success. I mean, you know, what John Ackland did with that NYC team and gave so many great players um, at the start of the decade, Um yeah, I'd, you know, I'd, the Aussie influence question, obviously, um, you know, cleared uh, uh, up a little bit, but um, yeah, no, I, don't, I certainly don't think it's a deliberate thing, and I certainly wasn't insinuating that with with Cam the other day.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's obviously it's a bit weird for me, being an Aussie, to be be asking that question and talking about it. I mean, my take is that if you if the owners came in and said we need to rebuild um this and set it up. Forget about whether you're Aussie or Kiwi. If you're looking for people with experience in clubs that have done it right, well, they're not in New Zealand because there's only one club there. So yeah. it, it makes sense that you'd look to the Australian clubs to, to draw from. Now, Sully Peter Sullivan, the recruitment manager, we talked about the Roosters and how good their talent identification is and so on. Well, he put that in place. Yeah, um, we talked about Penrith and how good their junior development pathways have been. Well, Gus put that in place. Um, so you've you've In terms of, as you said, uh, it's all about CVs. Those guys have the CVs. So, yeah, look, there might be more Aussie influence than um, one would expect, but I I think that's probably what it is. It's let's let's find the best person we can get to build this up.
1: Yeah, it was just the perfect storm with them. You know, obviously, bang over in Australia for the second straight year. um, That's right. A more Aussie centric squad compared, and you know, when and I thought it was probably two Kiwi, um, buying back the farm with all those uh, Kiwi internationals coming back probably on overs a little bit in 2018. Uh, so certainly certainly wasn't a criticism of the squad. Um, but, yeah, he did say, I may have got my head count wrong. I certainly didn't.
0: <laughs> There's
1: uh, a hell of a lot more Kiwis than there were there um, when he was at the helm in 2018. There's no doubt about that. But
0: um, yeah, Well, that's, that segues perfectly to a question from at David, I think that's how you say it. I might have that wrong. Where he's, He asked whether we can give a shout-out to Mooks for leaving Brownie with a decent squad to work with. Um, and and I might sort of tack on a second part to that question of, um, do you think that our recruitment, which we had some luck with recruitment in the back end of last year, do you think that had anything to do with Brownie versus Mooks?
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I... To be honest, I was surprised that that many quality players came on board uh, when we would hired a coach that was, I guess, uh, not a, maybe a controversial hire or not, you know, certainly not uh, proven to be successful in the NRL. He's I don't know what it is about him, but he did the same at Newcastle, lured really quality players there. Um, I do think that Stephen Kearney deserves a bit more credit than he than he um, has got. Like, I mean, if it wasn't for him, Tohu Harris doesn't come back. Um, Roger probably doesn't re-sign when he signed his last deal. I mean, you know, Peter Hickou came back at the same time he's ultimately proved a good signing, I think. Um, Yeah, I think that history will, has and will continue to look at um, Stephen Kearney unfavourably and um, far less than he deserves
0: I'm with you. Yeah, I mean, I did a bit of a deep dive into Kearney's history. And actually, that's when I – because I, I didn't really read a lot of your content before that because I'd never seen it before. And I started researching that Kearney podcast where I went right back through his career. And the best resource available anywhere on the internet is your website, um, which has all the historical um, articles and reviews about that. It was it was awesome. So. I sort of dug into him quite a bit, and I agree. I think he's, um, you know, he's a slightly – he has some limitations, but um, you talk about powerhouses. Well, part of being a powerhouse is consistency and culture, and he was driving that. It's in his DNA. You can see that when you look at his history, as you've done. Um, so – and and then you look at the young guys. So, Hayes Perham, a lot of people like him. He's a Kearney um, recruitment and development prospect, cht kearney recruitment development prospect there's a few there um i think wade egan was a kearney signing and if he comes good so um yeah i I think that coaches are like um like prime ministers you know they um get judged by the luck that happens while they're in the seat and um and the things they do bear fruit three and five years later and um, by that time they're gone, and the, you know the, the link isn't drawn to what they did. And I think Kearney's going to be one of those guys.
1: Yeah, as you know, if they find success sooner or later, um, I don't think he's going to get much credit for it, but certainly, certainly worth um, you know thinking about down the track. And and just a great guy, Stephen Kearney. I you know I, I was gutted that he didn't get success here because you know there's few people in the game that deserve it more as far as what they. Put out into the universe, just a champion bloke.
0: Yep, couldn't agree more. Now I think that's all the questions. There's, hang on, there's one more here. Just look at the Twitter um, from at B Larking. Yep, now I've got a new mic. I want 250 an episode to come across, mate. No recording Fridays. No, sorry, that's a private message. Sorry, no, that's not oh. for. That's uh, what? what? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> no, 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 that's not. That's just the private message. It's not for the podcast Okay. Um, well, so, no, I think that's all of them, mate Well, I, I've got one
1: actually, and um, and I'm hoping it may be from the same bloke actually, but um, that yeah, I'll, I'll talk to you off the air about that because I'm not quite done with it. But uh, this has come through from Anom- anonymous. Um, so let's just call him for argument's sake, Brad Al. Um. I'm a rugby league podcaster and I'm quite self-conscious about my voice. Fonzie, you have such a deep, intoxicating baritone. Is that something that can be taught or am I stuck with my West
0: Coast wine forever? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, Look, uh, mine is is sort of – comes from birth. I talk like this from when I was six months old. But um, in Brad's case, I don't – does Brad like the old darts, the old bungers, Will? Is he – because – if he could sort of get to a couple of packs a day, you know that that sort of puts some strain on the vocal larynx there, and it sort of deepens it out and fixes it up. I'm, I'm wondering if he could have a go at that. Or yeah,
1: well, he he like I hear he likes a durry as much as Wade Egan likes a no look pass. So um, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I hate to hate to think what uh, what that voice might sound like
0: without it. Just, but... just give him a few years, and uh, I think he'll be there. I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not worried about Anonymous. I think you'll come good. Yeah, okay. That's good to hear, mate. Well,
1: I think, um, does that cover off everything?
0: I think so, yeah. Uh, Great to have a chat, mate. It was, um, you know, it was a different different sort of pod for me where I got to listen and and talk at the same time. And, um, yeah, look, I think um, just as a general comment, I think we're well-placed this year. I think this is a year where we've got the building blocks to go well. I think it's a year where... Um, you know, there's there's going to be all sorts of ups and downs, but yeah, I, I'm I'm pumped, I'm confident. There's a lot to be
1: excited about. I mean, this the wild card is Nathan Brown's our coach, and, and if you ever listened to my podcast with the TAB boys yesterday, geez, they have got no time for Nathan Brown at all as a coach. So I just think that it's he's um, finals kryptonite. But um, I'm, I've got a bit more um, optimism and. Especially with all the other stuff going around the club and, and the roster, um, yeah, it's going to be an exciting year, as you said. Ups and downs. It's certainly not going to be smooth. We're not going to win the minor premiership and cruise to uh, a forty-nil grand final win, that's for sure. But you know, anything can happen, and I'm pumped. Um, thanks for thanks for joining me today, Fonzie. It's been brilliant, and to um, to our uh, followers on Twitter for pitching those questions, thanks for your input, hopefully we went a wee way to, to um, answering those, but yeah, as you've uh, seen on TWL podcast mate, I cannot finish off a podcast to save my life so I'm going to let, um, let you do the outro mate.
0: Mate, real simple all I do is say, go the Warriors